Podcast episode 20, Dennis, of season two. DB, how are you doing today? Doing great, Jay. 20 in the books. That's amazing. Let's do it. Yeah, you know, like we said last episode, we're trying to catch up to the Kings. They seem to be one step ahead of us. They uh, they have 25 games in the books, so we have a few episodes that we'll have to, to bang out over the weekend or something. But uh, we're coming to you live from Southern California, and today's program is being recorded in the Steven Reinprecht studio. And how appropriate, DB. I'm assuming that that is a name, given that it's from the 2000s, it, it should be a name that resonates with you at least a little bit. It does, and it, it it's impactful because... It's a, a guy that went uh, was in a deal with Colorado, and it was part of the Rob Blake trade, if I'm not mistaken. You are 100% correct. I love it uh, when, when these names connect with you. So, yeah. So, Ryan Precht, he's such an interesting story, although he was in L.A. for, you know, just a short period of time. And these are the kind of guys that I like to educate fans about and sort of reminisce about a little bit. He played over 660 games in the NHL, but he debuted with the Kings in 1999. Uh, he was signed as an unrestricted free agent coming out of college. And the reason I bring that part up is that we're entering into that time of the season where you're going to see some college free agents signed. Not sure how involved the Kings will be this year just because of where they are up against their their contract limits and whatnot. But uh, every year they are out there and they are kicking the bushes and trying to um, add some guys. To, so, so you might see something, but we'll, we'll deal with that in a later episode or even later in this episode, DB. But he was signed as a UFA and he came in and played one game, which you oftentimes see college players do. I think Daniel Brickley did that a couple years ago. He came in and played one game at the end of the year. It was in April against Vancouver. And then his rookie season, he had 29 points in 59 games. And that was enough to get him traded and to be included in that deal that you mentioned. He went with Rob Blake. While everybody sort of remembers the bigger names in that trade, uh, Dead Marsh coming over, Aaron Miller coming to Los Angeles, uh, Reinprecht did travel with Blake to the Avs, and of course he won a Stanley Cup there. And when his 600 NHL games were over, Dennis, he went on to play five years over in the German League. So it, it's a, he was a hockey lifer, if you will. Yeah. I remember him as a decent player, John. How about you? Yeah, that's the interesting thing. I was going back. He was here such a short time, and sometimes you you have to look up the numbers to remember if uh, or to remind yourself if your memory is accurate. But you're right. I remember him coming in. Um, he had a scoring touch. I think he had seven or eight points in his first ten games. Really caught the attention of people, and he looked like he was on his way to becoming a a decent player. Uh, and it's funny because again, sort of the connections and the timeliness of things. Todd McClellan was just asked about Trevor Moore uh, on one of our Zooms recently, and he was talking about the fact that 
Moore scored quite a bit in college. Now, Moore went to uh, the University of Denver, which is also where McClellan's son played. Ryan Preck played for Wisconsin, where Tony Granato, of course, is coaching now. But uh, he was basically saying, look, these guys that are scorers in college, they come into the NHL sometimes and they think they're going to be on the power play uh, when, in fact, it's the opposite. They end up on the PK because guys that uh, have a good scoring touch often understand offensive instincts. And if they're not going to be a goal scorer at the NHL level, they end up being good penalty killers. And so he was talking about uh, Trevor Moore in that environment. So I think it's it's kind of interesting because, you know, uh, not only does history repeat itself, but there is a lot to learn from history when you're thinking about how players apply to the current roster. One more note here, DB, that I think is just funny, um, how all the dots end up usually connecting if you pay enough attention. Uh, Reinprecht wore number 28 in Los Angeles, which is timely because we just had Jared Stoll on and we did the numerology for 28. And so the funny thing is, he was 28, he was traded out of Los Angeles, and that made things easy because coming to Los Angeles was Adam Deadmarsh, who of course wears 28, so you have to wonder if the Kings knew, well, we're getting Deadmarsh, uh, we need you know, either uh, Ryan Preck as a rookie, he's going to be changing his number, or we're going to have to include him in the deal. So I'm sure it wasn't that simple, but it is funny when you think about it. And people wonder why we do numerology. <laughs> they, there's a perfect example of why. I think it's fascinating, right? I mean, you can only talk, you can only talk power play goals and um, you know statistics for so long. So uh, you, sometimes you have to look at the this the fringe the stories that are equally as interesting. All right, DB, I want to pivot a little bit. I want to stay within the format this time. We'll still do the three periods like we always do here on Kings of the Podcast. However, a lot of discussion coming up in the third period today about the LA Kings roster and trades and some of the listener questions we've been getting. I want to save all that for the third period, and I want to make sure that we have enough time to uh, spend with our guests. Earl Skakel, he's been on the program multiple times. We have him on the other side of the break. So uh, how about we just keep this first period rather short, DB. We get to Earl, and then we come back and talk all things LA Kings. Work for you? Got a lot of ground to cover, Jay. Let's do it. Okay, after the break, Earl Skakel will join us on Kings of the Podcast. Welcome back, Kings of the Podcast, second period. Uh, first of all, Earl, before we uh, say hello and do all this sort of good stuff for you, you probably couldn't hear it in your earpiece, but I do want to let you know, just for you, we were playing some very special music right there. We were playing a little bit of uh, Stephen Piercy, Rat. That was uh, just for you on the, uh, on the intro here. Uh, I'll assume it was, given what we're about to talk about, the song title was Lay It Down. Actually, that was the song that we used, Lay It Down. We're expecting you to lay it down right now. Uh, we can't wait. So here we go, Earl. Let's get after it. Well, before we start talking about hockey, uh, congratulations, by the way. I know you love your $1.32 uh, royalty checks, and the Jellies are now on HBO Max. I think that's a really big deal, isn't it? For me, it is. For okay. Tyler, the creator whose uh, cartoon it is, it's probably like 10th on his list of big deals. But uh, for me, it's one through 10. So hopefully it gets a bigger audience on HBO. And uh, who knows? Maybe they'll bring it back. That would be fantastic. More Earl. That's what we all need in our lives. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So uh, when you're not slamming Virgil on Instagram uh, and doing your... That was my first question, John. (laughs) Okay. Go ahead, Dennis. I'll let you go first then. Go ahead. Earl, why do you hate Virgil? 
because he owes me $28,000. <laughs> I invested in his, uh, yeah, I invested in his meat sauce business and I haven't gotten anything. I've gotten a can of meat sauce. <laughs> Wait, now is this, is this part of your stick or is this like for real? Um, I, I wish I could say what I want to say, but knowing you guys have sponsors, uh, yes, this is, you know, I, I try to help a guy out. As you know, I'm currently arguing with someone right now on Twitter about how well the WWE treats their own after they retire. They're like treated like abandoned shelter dogs. Yes. And, uh, you know, I helped Virgil. I was an investor in his, uh, meat sauce company, uh, and I haven't seen anything. So I want my money back. Makes sense. Makes sense. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> it really doesn't. Uh, Earl. Should I, do the qu- should I do the follow-up question about Kamala? Uh, yes, go ahead. Earl. Jesus, calm down. WWE Hall of Fame. I mean, at least put his legs in there. He gave him to the business. Uh I mean, you know, this guy's feuds with The Undertaker and Hogan made that company a lot of money. And as soon as his body started breaking down, it was a thanks a lot. Sell art on the side of the road in Mississippi to make ends meet. Appreciate your uh, efforts. Yes. they. Well, like you said, they don't have the best track record of taking care of their own when uh, when it's over with. Uh, well, nor does the NHL. Uh, I'm going to try and keep my composure here shout out to team usa hockey the rangers uh, the north stars uh, i guess minnesota wild and uh gary bedman for really uh taking care of mark pavlich toward the end great job there okay so <laughs> earl i need you in a good mood here so so let's let's rein this thing back in here um okay. sorry one of the <laughs> no, it's perfectly fine one of the things that uh uh, you know what? I'm going to ask you this now. I was saving it for later, but uh, I, I'm lining up Rick Knickel to come on uh, later next <laughs> week. Uh, I think next week is he's coming on. And as as somebody who's followed the Kings for a very long time, Rick Knickel, former teammate of Val James, one of your favorites. Uh, do you have any memories of, of Rick Knickel? Um, I, I He was playing with the Kings in the very dark era yeah. of... Uh, you know, might be the Sam McMaster era, which I'm a fan of Sam. We won't get into that. Uh, I, I mean, he's, uh, he's kind of like Mark St. John was in kiss. He was, he was there for a couple months. Okay. Come on. It's not quite the same thing, but okay. That's, uh, all right. All right. Let's, let's, uh, for those that don't know, by the way, we are talking with Earl Skakel, uh, worldwide legend uh in the com- comedy world and uh here in southern california he's a street hockey legend right earl i have uh, so many ball hockey scoring trophies i i might have to get a second house to house them all uh the sheldon saray of ball hockey shots of southern california uh, but uh you know i have to have one non comedy thing i can do uh, where I'm not around the entertainment business and ball hockey in Southern California is about as far away from the entertainment business as you can get. Fair enough. What, what, let's, let's start with this. You have not been, um, 
you've not been answering some of my, te- uh, not some of them, but uh, there were, we were having a text exchange the other night and you didn't want to answer one of the questions I asked you. You wanted to come in with your fresh takes. You said, save it for the pod, which I thought was like a true professional. Uh, so, so go ahead, give us your hot takes on the LA Kings here before Dennis and I start firing off some, some questions for you. Well, I think it's a very uh, weird roster uh, makeup because you, you're, you're going youth but you also have five guys from the cup winning days who are still serviceable players to varying degrees. So you're not good enough to compete with the, the Vegas's and the Colorado's consistently, but you're not bad enough where you can't steal some wins against those guys. So I, and of course the core five probably won't like this statement, but I view this season for the Kings as almost like preseason for next year. Like, you got to start auditioning these guys. Like I know what Amadio and Wagner can do. I want to see other players in those roles. Uh, I'm just an idiot fan, but you know, I want to see what Luff can do full time. I want to see, you know, like what they did with Kaspari, you know, play three games. We know what he can do from the standpoint of what he's capable of now. So we can adjust. And I just, I don't get why we play Amadio so much. It's nothing personal, but like, and Wagner, he's like, if Craig Johnson and Mike Donnelly had a baby, <laughs> you know, no, no, I, I like, I like him like super fast and he's a bit of an agitator, but you know, I just, it's, uh, you know, frustrating to see these guys get most of the, uh, fourth line consideration when I think, you, you know, we got to see what other people can do for next year. And no, I'm not saying put up Boko Imam on the fourth line, but you know I wouldn't be against it. You wouldn't be against him playing one game, but would you bring up Byfield and Callie haven't played him this year? Well, here's the thing: I, I think you have to look at Ottawa and 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 say, are they happy with their decision to play Stutzla and and burn a year off his deal? Uh, I would like to see some of those kids, Byfield, Callie, maybe Turcotte later, get you know, the Kaspari cup of coffee and, and, you know, I wouldn't burn a year off their ELCs, but okay. I think it'd be good to see where they're at in terms of playing against men. Cause I think, if, you know, obviously when life gets back to normal, they're back to the OHL. I just, I don't see them benefiting from playing against kids with acne. You know, Kalia's going to score against virgins, uh, you know, Byfield's going to dominate against 17-year-olds who are using proactive. And then next season, all right, let's see how you do against adults. I don't know where the fine line is in terms of the proper place for them to play the rest of this year. Well, who's your favorite king right now? Uh, well, let me see. I mean, Brown and Kopitar are, are – I like Brown, you know, because I think people thought he was at the end of the rope. Uh you know, I, I like what Anthony Sears brought. I think he's been kind of a nice surprise. I know you expect me to say Curtis McDermott, but uh, I mean, I, I'm so old. I remember his dad, Paul, when he was a rookie. Uh, so, I mean, my cell phone is rotary, but uh, I, I was, you know, I like love. You know, I want to see what this guy can do. Uh, you know, uh, I'm friends with him. So, you know, there's a little bias there, but I just think if this kid can stay healthy, He's like the perfect third, fourth line player with some scoring and a shot. Uh, I just, uh, I don't know. You know, I know he's been hurt a bit and, you know, he 
he probably didn't play the best game Monday. That whole line, as you said, DB, was uh, demolitioned after Monday night. But uh, it's just such a weird – Well, it's just such a weird uh, season for the Kings. Like, obviously, this draft is very heavy in defensemen which is what they need to not necessarily complete the rebuild, but they need an heir apparent to Dowdy at some point. And, uh, but they're just in that probably 10 to 15 draft spot right now if they keep winning. So mm-hmm. I'm sure even Rob Blake and the, and the rest of the upper management are like, well, I don't know if we want to win too much more. So it's tough. Well, I can tell you this. Uh, Kings management does want to win. They want to make the playoffs this year. They think it's a, it would be a great statement to the players in the room that um, all that they've gone through over the last couple of years, speaking to the core five right now, uh, everything they've gone through over the last couple of years was worth it, and um, that it would be very beneficial to, to the learning curve of guys like Mikey Anderson, Bjorn Foote, Velarde, some of those younger players that aren't fringe players, the younger players that are going to be part of the team moving forward. So, uh, And there's also the opportunity that a couple of the players you mentioned there, uh, Earl, that in the, in the second half of the season, or say after the trade deadline, which is coming up in mid-April, uh, as weird as that sounds, after that, some of those players might have an opportunity to be with the Kings, whether they get a lot of games or not is one thing, but to be around the team, uh, you know, whether it's black aces in the playoffs or whatnot. So they are, they are trying to secure that fourth and final playoff spot, uh, which gets me sort of to the, to the Western division this year. What, what do you make of the way that the NHL has, has rebounded and uh, try to set things up for 2021 with these two game series and, and the different divisions and realignment and stuff? What do you, what do you think of it? Well, I do like the more games against the, the same two teams, you know, like the Kings and Ducks and, and uh, you know, Vegas uh, and, and the Kings. Uh, I, I think the NHL, they've been ahead of the curve for once, you know. Uh, That's a good point. But I, I think, and this is why uh, before the season, I thought, you know, the Kings might be a team to watch out for because the 56-game season, it's built for a younger team. And I think that one team in each division is going to, Maybe get into the playoffs that shouldn't, but because they're a little younger and they can recuperate a little faster than some of the older teams, uh, you know. But then again, I thought Buffalo was going to be good. So what the hell do I know? <laughs> What's going on in Buffalo, man? Time to start that fire sale. Good luck unloading Skinner's contract. Hey, at the risk of triggering you, I want to ask you a, a uh, go back to a comedy question. Like when we first became acquainted and pals and stuff like that, the first performance stuff I saw you do was Roast Battle. How do you become so great at that type of genre of comedy? Oh, here we go. Oh, okay. Well, it's it's a skill. It's like uh, in hockey parlance, it's like having a, a super hard slap shot. Uh, you know, Stu Grimson and John Scott had the hardest shots in their teams, but they they weren't good at much else. Uh, that's kind of like me in comedy. I, I was just blessed with a quick mind and a quick wit. And a lot of that actually came from playing hockey, uh, where, as you know, it, there's a lot of chirping that goes on. So I was in uh, training for the last 30 years of me playing hockey to talk a little trash and, and become uh, fairly quick at rebuttals. Uh, you know, roasting... Uh, Roasting, Stephen, you know, roasting, you're, you're paying tribute to someone like if they, like on the Shane Doan roast, mm-hmm. obviously right. Shane Doan's a legend, so it was kind of neat to make fun of him, but then at the end, 
you say, Hey, I wish I had your career, your beautiful family and, and your looks and, and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, roast battle, like you're trying to bully someone before they bully you. <laughs> How does that work out? Because you, you seem, you strike me as the kind of person that, has a mind that doesn't shut off and that might not play well when you're in, you know, a personal relationship and you've, you've gone sort of public with your, your personal relationship over the last year or so. And it's, it's now part of who you are on your social media presence. How does that, how does that play in a personal relationship when you are as quick witted as you are? I mean, it's good and bad. Did Uh, I ask that question delicately enough, by the way? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, it's, uh, I'm honest, and then uh, some people confuse that for uh, bitterness sometimes, which I don't like. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a straight shooter, so sometimes in the entertainment world, being a straight shooter is not the best uh, course of attack for long-term success. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's the only way I know how to be, and um, you know, I think people who know me appreciate that about me, like, you know, I'm a fan of the tough guys. Not many people are in this uh, era of the NHL, but I still promote the tougher elements of hockey because it's just who I am. I was referring more to your private life. Like with my girlfriend? Yeah. yeah. I, I could see I you starting a lot of arguments is what I'm getting at. Uh, well, I, but, but it goes back to keeping it real. Like you might not agree with what I say. Like I was not treated well by Comedy Central. So I... And she works uh, with Comedy Central on things, so mm-hmm. it, it definitely made it awkward. But uh, no, no one's disagreed with me. I, I've had A-list comics call me up and say, "Hey, we really appreciate your honesty towards a network that didn't treat you well." I don't know how that's going to work out for you or a long term, <laughs> but I mean, there's only—I mean, Comedy Central is really the only comedy network. I mean, Netflix is not necessarily a comedy network. So, you know, they have movies and sports and all that. Uh, so, but it's just who I am. Like if I was raised by two very strange parents, but they drilled into my head about respect. And I won't say what my mom said, cause I know you guys have sponsors, by the way, I love the manscape commercials. I'd like to read one if I could someday. Uh, I use it. Um, if but, I would have uh, known that you wanted to read it, I could have just uh, sent you over the copy for today's episode. It would have been fantastic. A read from Earl. Well, when I did the Dollar Shave Club ads for uh, Roddy Piper, that lasted one read after I started talking about areas where you could use the product. But, okay, um, then maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was a good idea to not send it to you then. <laughs> no, believe me, it's a very smart decision on uh, uh, this uh, part uh, of the podcast. Okay. Don't have Earl do the, the reads. Uh, but I'm proud of you guys. You guys are killing it in the podcast game. And uh, the hate that sometimes you guys get online for your takes is insane to me. Like, I wouldn't be a good addition to this podcast because I would keep it real. You guys have to kind of toe a line, and I don't know how you do it. Well, thank you. We appreciate that. So, Earl, here's the thing. You make a lot of references back to the 70s and Ed Hospodar and all the – like, do you miss – that game, or do you like this game, today's game, better? Well, I I understand the NHL wanting to get rid of players like uh, Wayne Van Dorp, you know, or, or <laughs> Jay Caulfield, who literally started skating at 15. Um, 
but I do miss the antagonistic days of like last night I was on the elliptical and I'm watching uh, the Rangers and the Flyers and it was just every other play. Uh, there was shoves and there was emotion. And, you know, you had Ben Wilson uh, headbutting Barry Beck and then Hospodar's cheap shotting Mel Bridgman. And it, it was just, it just seems like nowadays a lot of the games seem like practices, scrimmages. Uh, and I, I sound old mainly because I am old, but like I, I do miss the emotion of the 80s hockey. I understand you got to get rid of some of the, you know, the stick work and the, the bench clearing brawls per se. But like, you know, I forget what game I was watching the other night. It was like six, nine, I think it was the Canadians and they were losing, uh, like it was like six, nothing. And I was like, this game's going to be wild the last four minutes and nothing, no emotion. It was just like, all right, let's just get this game over with. And I miss the, the wild days to a degree. Mm-hmm. We had uh, Brian Slagle on recently, and uh, you know Slags, and we were talking about the return of live audiences, and obviously uh, I'm assuming that as soon as Staples Center allows fans back inside the building, I'm, I'm guessing that you can't wait to get back and watch live hockey games. I am looking more forward to going to Ontario because I want to see some of the kids play. Like, I'm so excited, uh, and I absolutely will go to Staples Center and uh, – It'll be amazing in some capacity, whatever it is, 25%, 50% uh, capacity. Uh, but I am I was so excited last year to, uh, I think the weekend I was supposed to go to see Ontario, uh, the pandemic started because uh, we have so, I'm so excited about this team's uh, prospect system uh, that I, I almost want to go, and I, I'm probably the only person to ever say I want to go to Ontario but, uh, I mean, that place is like Mayberry RFD uh, and uh, see the, the plethora of prospects that we, I mean, even if half these kids pan out, we're in good shape. Or what you think of Daryl Sutter returning to the bench in Calgary? I mean, a great short-term fix. Uh, you know, I think uh, I put uh, Sutter in the same boat as Tortorella where they're, they're great for a couple of years and then they they get tuned out because of their no-nonsense methods of communicating. Uh, I mean, Calgary, they, they definitely should be better. Uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, you know, the rumors about uh, Johnny Hockey are always out there that he wants out. Um, you know, Lucic is Lucic. Uh, you know, uh, Kachuk seems to be, uh, you know, playing okay, but he can play better. And, you know, the goaltending is always a question mark there. So uh, I don't know how much Sutter can do to improve that, you know, unless he's been taking goalie classes somewhere uh, <laughs> on the farm. But, uh, you know, I think it's a short-term uh, solution. Like, uh, that's a veteran team uh, for the most part. And I, I think, uh, you know, you know, you guys know this better than I do. Uh, I don't know if veterans like uh, the – energy level that Sutter brings to a locker room of calling you out. And, and I, it'll be interesting. I think it'll help very short term and then it's, they should be looking for a better solution. Yeah. Uh, so just to, to wrap things up here, then uh, back to the live audience question, how does that play for comedy? Because you, you've uh, been able to partake in a couple of different things. You did like a drive-in show or, or something like that, right? Didn't you do that? 
Yeah, I did a few shows. Actually, one in Ontario uh, with Rob Schneider in a baseball field where it was uh, Canada cold. It was freezing, uh, but it was you could see the front row, uh, and they're in their pickup trucks, and they turn the trucks around so they can sit in the the trailer part. Uh, you know, people were crying. It's called a bed, bed. So, <laughs> not a trailer. Yeah, the, the, come on. The, the I grew bed. up in Bel Air. <laughs> come on, let's be honest. Here. Yes, I know. With comics. your John Vardvado, say I, I know all about it. Yeah, I got it. Like, <laughs> not all comics were poor. Uh, <laughs> that's why I can do open mics in my fifties and still leave with a smile on my face. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, so that was amazing to to see people literally crying, not for my act, but just happy to be out and, and be with other people and uh i did one last week at the hollywood improv they have a uh as you'd say a stage set up uh in the uh the patio so the same thing you could literally feel the love mm-hmm. of people glad to be out glad to be around people um so i can't wait for indoor comedy to be back uh, the last show i did was in front of uh Luff, Jersey, and uh, Imama. So that was a year ago today. I got the uh, you know little Facebook thing. Uh, so it's, it's mind blowing that it, that was the last indoor show I did was a year ago. That's a year of our lives that we'll never get back. Uh, but there is some good news for someone like you and someone like me who enjoys going to concerts as well. Stephen Piercy, your buddy Rat's going to be back out on tour. Uh, we brought you in today to Rat, and we're gonna we're gonna close you out today with some Cinderella. Uh, from our, our buddy Fred Corey and, of course, uh, Tom Kiefer. So a little Cinderella on the way out. Earl, give us your prediction. Will the Kings be able to close it out? Will they end up in the final playoff spot? I think they will. Like I said, they're, they're not bad enough to uh, lose to the good teams. And, uh, I, you know, obviously the goaltending situation right now is a little scary. Uh, I heard today that they called up uh, Marco Barron and uh, Marcus Matson. It's good to see those guys back in the game. Well, that's uh, why we're having Knickle on the program, is just to, <laughs> just to make sure that he's stretching and that he's ready to go if needed. They, I hope the hot yoga classes are doing him well because it's either him or Mario Lassard. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, obviously uh, that puts a, a cringe in the, the playoff chances, but uh, Troy played great last night. I tweeted right before the game started, uh-oh, and uh, that was one of the better King efforts I've, I've seen in a long time. Like, you knew that they were playing for him, and, uh, you know, now the key is against Colorado. I'm a little nervous. It's like, uh, I hope they play as good as they did last night tomorrow night because that could get real ugly fast against that team. All right. You heard it right there. Earl Skakel, you can catch him. The Jellies back on HBO Max now. Uh, that's fantastic. You can follow him on Twitter. You can listen to his podcast, and uh, you can keep up to date with all things that are Earl. Earl, we always appreciate you coming on and sharing your, I call it your unique perspective uh, on, on the world of hockey, and we love catching up with you, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk soon. Well, I keep it real. Like, you know, uh, in in your position, you guys can't keep it real necessarily because you have sponsors. So uh, I don't want you guys to lose your manscape. By the way, their uh, 3.0 works amazing around the, the tight spots. Uh, <laughs> but I'm proud of you guys. Like, you guys have got, like, one of the top, top podcasts in, in Apple's podcast sports. And, and, like, that's hard. And you guys, like, uh, so much respect for you. And, I'm sad that I didn't hear DB that well today. Uh, sounded like he was talking to a Mr. Microphone, but uh, hey, it's, it's technology. 
We'll be back to pick you up later. That's for the people who remember the commercial. We love you, Earl. We can't wait for uh, some indoor comedy, and the three of us will be in the same room at the same time, and we will be laughing uh, at you, and we will be crying with you. So uh, we'll see you soon, Earl. Please, please come to the show so I can do some hockey jokes, which usually go over like a lead balloon to L.A. crowds. <laughs> And uh, keep up the good work. And Boko Imama, congratulations for your goal last week. 41 goals this last year in juniors. They weren't all tip-ins, brother. You're the man, Skakel. We'll talk to you later. (laughs) There you go. Earl Skakel, we'll be back after the break. And Dennis and I will try to get this train back on the tracks. To the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the Mayor. Welcome back, third period, uh, DB. Thanks, of course, to uh, Earl Skakel. Any any key takeaways from the time with Earl there? I have a suggestion for Earl. Maybe he should start a GoFundMe page so he can get back that twenty eight k from Virgil. <laughs> yes. For those of you that don't know what we're talking about, you're missing out. You really need to follow Earl on Instagram uh, for his daily posts. I think he's a little bit more active on Instagram than he might be on Twitter. I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, so besides starting a GoFundMe, Earl Earl loves the kids and uh, Earl loves he loves the um, the heavyweights from years gone by. Yes. Without question, John, without question. DB, uh, Earl made reference also to the fact that it's been one year uh, ago. We talked about that in the first period, about the uh, the time of the year that it is, March 11th here, that we're recording this. And uh, spring break is right around the corner, DB. And you know what that means. That means that it's going to be spring break for all of you crazies out there. And Manscaped is here to ensure that uh, the party in your pants never stops to help you get ready to party this spring break. We have an absolutely exclusive 20% off discount. Use code K-O-T-P-N-E-W at manscaped.com. Uh, Dennis, people that listen to the show, they know Manscaped is dedicating to help level up your body grooming, your full body grooming game. Uh, the Perfect Package 3.0 kit, Earl made reference to it in the second period there. It, the kit comes with the Essential Lawnmower 3.0, which is waterproof, cordless, and uh, you also get some liquid formulations to round out your grooming routine. Uh, we have the products. Earl has the product. That was great to hear from him. Uh, we use them. He uses them. Uh, this is the best trimmer on the market, no doubt about it. Millions of people around the globe use this, and for anybody in need of some manly grooming, you should check out Manscaped. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents, uh, thanks in part to their advanced skin safe technology, which Manscaped pioneered. And uh, you can adjust the settings. You can get different uh, lengths if you would like, uh, depending on if you're shaving your chest or what you're doing. Um, and you can also be sure to use their crop cleanser, which is their body wash. Uh, helps keep your hair and skin feeling healthy and fresh. They also have the crop reviver, which is a spray on toner. And for a limited time, Kings of the Podcast subscribers get two free gifts, Dennis. They get the shed travel bag, $39 value there. And you get the uh, the patented high-performance 
reduced chafing manscaped boxers. They're black, of course, so they are mayor approved. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code K-O-T-P-N-E-W. Just go to manscaped.com at uh, manscaped.com. Use K-O-T-P-N-E-W. You'll get 20% off with free shipping. You can do that now. And while, well, why don't you do that after the program is over? Because we do want you to listen to the third period. Dennis and I have a lot to cover here. And DB, right at the end of the third period, we were... Uh, about to get into some of the press conference today. Bill Daly and Gary Bettman held a media call today uh, for, I don't know, 45 minutes-ish or so. Uh, we were on the call, tweeted out a couple of things, and DB, you were the closer. You brought the thing to a, a finale. A finale, uh, a finale. Uh, you were the final question on, on there today. Why don't you tell us about that final question? Yeah, so as people know, on, I believe, was it Monday? Um I asked Drew Doughty about, and we played it on the last pod, about how he liked Zoom. And he said, I really like Zoom. I'll be honest with you. I hope they don't get let you guys back in the locker room anymore. Right. Right. So, so of course, me being the disturber that I am, um, I asked Gary Bettman if uh, what he thought of Drew's comments. Because there is, I'll tell you, John, in, in the media, there is concern that what we used to have with respect to access we won't go back to what we had is that there might be some limitations with respect to getting in. And we talked about this in the last episode about nuances and talking with players face to face. And, and the, 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 the consensus is that the players like having the room to themselves. They like, like Drew said, they like having the music all the way up after games. And Gary Bettman assured me that once things get back to normal in quotes, normal times um, that we will have the same full access that um, that we've had before, which I think is essential for the fans. The fans think that that you know doesn't matter, or we're just the media crying about not being as accessible to the fans as we once were. I'll just go back to John's comments of the last episode about how we get stories and how we write stories. Mm-hmm. So it is essential if you want full coverage, especially John. Now with the with ESPN and either NBC and Fox coming in, th- there's no way there's going to be limitations. Obviously, with the, with so much money at stake and and with these rights holders being involved. Yeah, for sure. Um, were there any other takeaways for you? I thought. I mean, I just Bettman does such a great job. He's so smooth in the way that he answers questions. Normally, when he's with the media. Um, I didn't find there to be a tremendous amount of sort of breaking news um, uh, in the sense of, for example, somebody asked, you know, what about realignment? And he's like, look, you know, we did it this year because of the pandemic and we expect to go back to the regular divisions next year with the changes that were previously announced, Seattle moving into the Pacific. And I think it's Arizona moving over to the central. Um, They asked, you know, it really, that's the Canadian media wanting to know, you know, can the all Canadian division stick around? Everybody uh, sort of, believed that wasn't going to be the case. And Bettman did, you know, kind of poo-poo the idea. So sorry uh, to the All-Canadian division. I don't know if that means Daryl Sutter sticks around for next year with Calgary. That's a different story for a different show. But uh, the other thing was, you know, I don't think we got any real clarity. Like people were asking about the the two-game sets, which the fans seem to like, the coaches like, uh, the players like. But uh, the NHL was sort of non-committal about it. They they did understand the the benefits to it. Bettman brought up one sort of weird thing about players being injured and fans right. missing out on, on on seeing a player if they only came to town once a year for those two game sets. But uh, there wasn't a lot of breaking news, is what I'm getting at. Did you find anything to be like, oh wow, that's very very interesting? 
No, but the commitment to having the draft in July. Yes. That's not going to move. Right? So that that that's not breaking news. That's what we assumed. And, and you've spoken on that as John as well, saying to move the draft to to back to back day, you know, back to back years. And never made sense to me. Doesn't make any sense. Exactly. So no, no, nothing more than that. It was just, you know, a lot of it, John, I'd say half of it was kind of a recap of the last year about what the league's done with COVID and all this other stuff. So there wasn't a lot of breaking news uh, with respect to uh, going forward. Cause, and then the other thing is it was on the heels of the press conference yesterday with Jimmy Pitaro about announcing the, 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 the new ESPN package. So there wasn't really a lot to cover with respect to um, the new package because that was covered yesterday. So you know, nothing, nothing very earth shattering, uh, but a good, you know, again, they sat down and talked with us for our 45 minutes, which is always good. Yeah, and, and I want to make sure that people take away the right uh, reaction to what I just said. I'm not being negative when I say there wasn't a lot of breaking news. What what a lot of times what they share is sort of confirmation of things that we've already heard or that we believe. Yes. So, um, you know, so it's good to hear the commissioner of the National Hockey League talk about alignment or realignment, whatever you want to look at it as for next year. It's good to hear, you know, Bill Daly talk about two game sets and things like that. So a lot of it, as I said, it's just confirmation uh, of things that we've already sort of heard. And it's good to hear them right. say it, though, publicly instead of it just being like, you know, an anonymous source told me X. Absolutely. Let's get to the LA Kings DB uh, jam packed here. Third period. And you know, in the last episode um, we started to touch on, there was a, a tweet that went out where I was asking people if they had any questions that they would like us to, to right. touch on. And um, there were a number of different questions that were asked. And I have a handful of them here that we still think, Great. I think we should, we should get to, yes. would you like to start with that? Or do you want to talk more about our banter back and forth or save that? No, let's go with the fit. No, the, the fan questions were great. So let's start with that first. Then we'll get to the meat of our discussion. All right. So somebody asked, um, can you assess Byfield's play so far with the rain? Uh, sure. I'll, I'll be happy to. Um, I would say that when you, when you look at his play, you have to remember a couple of things. Number one, he's not supposed to be in the American hockey league. I can't say that enough. And I'll take Ryan Getzloff as an example. Go back and take a look at when Ryan Getzloff was drafted and look at how he spent the next two years in the WHL before he turned pro. That's important, guys, because there's a big difference between a 17-year-old and an 18-year-old. There's a big difference between an 18-year-old and a 19-year-old. There's not as much of a difference between a 29-year-old and a 30-year-old. Because by the time you get into your late 20s, you've matured as a player, both physically and mentally. And that's not the case when you're a younger player. So if you were to look at Getzloff back in those early years and you wanted to be highly critical of his play, uh, well, it turned out pretty well for him. The guy won a cup and has had a fantastic career with the Anaheim Ducks. Just one specific case in point. Andre Kopitar didn't come over to the Kings uh, right after he was drafted. Draft plus one. Uh, it was draft plus two when he came over and started playing here. So although you might have seen him in training, Training camp, there's a difference training camp uh, to playing in the real season. We're seeing even that uh, with a guy like Tyler Madden. So back to back to Byfield. Um, Byfield, he the thing that's good is that he's not quitting. He's not giving up on plays. The 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 compete is there. Um, he, also, remember he put on some weight, and I don't think that this has been talked about enough. It was a little bit of a story during the World Juniors, and then it sort of went away. But he put on a good 15 plus pounds over the off season. And when players put on that much weight, they do have to adjust and play a different game. And I think that Byfield is trying to adjust to many different things right now, including playing with that extra weight, which he openly has admitted that that is something that he's had to adjust to. He's also learning how, how to play as a pro. And one of the things that I don't think people pay enough attention to, DB, is that when you are an offensive-minded player and you're on the top line as a junior player in, in, the, in the CHL, it doesn't matter where you are, 
defensive responsibilities don't exist. You basically are, are a, freight, a freight train out there. You just have free will to do whatever you want and create offense. And when you meet somebody like a Daryl Sutter or uh, a Todd McClellan who are going to try to put, or Ken Hitchcock, who try to put some defensive structure into your game, there is an adjustment. And that adjustment can be quite a bit. And I, and I even go back to Tim Stutzel because we're going to have to talk about him forever, even though I'm already sure. bored of talking about it. Um, what he's doing in Ottawa is different than what Byfield is trying to accomplish in the OHL. They're, they are trying to put a defensive uh, element into his game. So the other thing is, if he was playing with more experienced players, like Zegris was playing with in, uh, in, in San Diego, the goals, uh, you, you, I think you would see more points. He's third on the team in points, Dennis. So the fact that he's putting up points on that team shows you that he's hanging uh, as a player. People want to see more from him right now, but uh, Byfield's doing just fine. I'm not overly concerned as much as people are because people look at it and he's not scoring highlight reel goals every night, but he's learning. So um, that's my assessment of, of Byfield's game, Dennis. I'd like to see him up here for a short period of time playing with those better players with a Matt Luff and an Austin and Wagner, whoever, like, you know, I'm not telling you he should replace, you know, he should place Carter on the right wing on the second line. But, but I would like to, cause you know what, Joe? I want to do like gap analysis. Like I want to see him at this level and see truly how far away mm-hmm. I, I get your point about, he's not ready. He's not, far. I, I want to see at this level, at the most elite level, like how much have them assess how far away he is. So that's the only really comment I have about Quentin Byfield, because again, context of what the team's doing, who he's playing with. I agree with all that. Um, you know, it, it's not this year. It's never going to be this year, but just, I just like to get a glimpse of, of see how much of how big of a gap he needs to go to get to the point where he's a contributor on this team. Okay. Um, he's not a very physical player also probably should add that. So if you're, if you're watching the right. games and expecting him to be a very physical player, that's really just not who he is, but, uh, his skating is phenomenal. And he is like, for example, two games ago, he made plays, uh, with different wingers. They would have been able to put those goals away. So he's making plays. And Dennis, to your point, you will see him up. That is sort of the plan. I talked about this a couple of, uh, episodes ago. Uh, and again, this is information that I don't think you're going to find anywhere else, guys. So, you know, I'm tapping into my resources and sharing information with you. The plan as of right now is that when the Ontario Hockey League announces that they're returning soon, uh, the plan is to send Kaliev back to the Ontario League, which was the plan all along. Uh, Byfield will most likely, unless something changes here over the next week or two, but Byfield will most likely spend the rest of the season with the Kings. He will not get into more than six games, but he will be spending a lot of time practicing with the team and that's how they're going to um, sort of evaluate where he is. Because again, for the 3,000th time, if you don't know this, uh, Quentin Byfield is not eligible to play in the American League. He's supposed to be, by the rules, he's supposed to be either in uh, the OHL or the NHL. So there you go. Um, the next question, Dennis, was do you think that 22 gets an extension after the season? Uh, the only reason I want to take this one first, Dennis, is there's a technicality yeah, sure. in here that, that is going to trip some people up. So they signed him as a UFA, but at the end of the season, he's not a, a UFA. He's an RFA. RFA. 
He's one of the rare players that you sign as a UFA that's actually an RFA at the end. You don't, you don't see this a lot, uh, but he is that is his situation. So the Kings aren't in any sort of a hurry. Uh, I, I have checked in on this. They are not in any sort of a hurry to get a deal done. If they do something with him, it would be most likely after uh, the season because they want to get through the trade deadline. Not that they're going to be big players, but you never know if someone's going to call and need somebody and what they're going to do. Uh, but they want to get past the trade deadline, past the season, uh, sort of suss out what they have, which of their own RFAs they're going to retain, and they're taking a look at their contract situation, and then um, that's when they will make a determination. And they'll also have a full 56-game audition from AA. Um, but he certainly, I mean, Todd talked him up after the game last night and said, look, they, they thought they were getting a very hungry player, and they wanted to teach him an appreciation for the defensive side of things, and it's, it's, it's coming along. It's a work in progress is uh, kind of the paraphrase of what McClellan said. Do you have anything to add to that, DB? Yeah, well, he's arbitration eligible, John. So they could go to arbitration, have a determine arbiter determine what the number is. They could choose to walk in and be a free agent again or up them. I think on this team, um, short of the wingers that are in the system coming faster, like I think on next season, if he's the third line left wing and he has that touch and can score goals around the net. Um, I think that's a good situation. I don't think he's a top six player. No, some people go and look, some of the goals he scores are highlight reels goals. I get it. He's got great moves. I don't see him as a top six, six left winger, but on a, a better contending team, could he contribute as a left a third line left winger? I think he could. And they get him at a right price. So I think, I think that's where he fits or obviously LW four, but I think he is his ceiling on a improving team would certainly be LW three. Let's build on that for just a quick moment, Dennis, because it's really where I was going with my post-game question last night to McClellan about how do you balance Kempe, who's performing very well with his new line mates, how do you balance that with the thought of moving him up? Because really what I was trying to get at is, yeah, I don't see 22 as your as your LW2, and at what right. point has Kempe earned the right to jump back up there? And he's like, look, we're not thinking about that tonight. Okay, fine, but you know you have a plane ride ahead of you and on your way to Colorado. At some point, if Kempe keeps putting up points, has he graduated? Has he jumped over Double A? And I also understand the flip side of it. That, you know, if you could balance out your scoring and you're rolling four lines, et cetera. But right. so there's that element, DB. And also, if he if Double A has a great year by whatever standards you want to measure it, if he has a great year, I don't think that that pushes LA in any further of a direction than what I'm about to say. I think if he comes back to LA, it's on a one-year deal. I just don't think you give that player a multi-year contract because of the number of prospects that are coming through. And so if he has a monster year, he might find the grass is greener somewhere else, another team that's willing to give him a two-year deal. And I don't think there would be any hard feelings. The Kings say, hey, thanks, Chow. We appreciate you coming in and giving us one good year. Happy to see you, you know, mosey on down the road. Yeah, if anything... It was beneficial for him to come here. And look, John, last year, what did everybody ever say about this guy? Minus 45. Mm-hmm. That, that's what that's right after his last name. It was minus 45. So he's really invigorated his career. He's done all the right things. He's been a responsible player. And, and even Todd said it last night. He's working on his defensive game because he knew. He knew this was the last shot. He's taken advantage of it. He says he could be productive. He's playing well defensively for a player of that of that DNA. So, but I agree with you. I don't think that like to think that he would get uh, a, the extension that Kempe got, 
Like, how could you say that you're going to give this player the three-year extension on Kemba? It just, it's a different type of animal here. So I agree with you. I would think you go one year at a time. And I, I agree with you. If, if this team falls down a little bit and somebody calls around April and wants to look at this guy as an option for a depth score, you got to explore that. But yeah, I agree with you. One-year deal, if you do bring him back, um, he's earned the right to be considered for that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, just to follow up on something I said in the first period as well about a college free agent, the Kings, from what I do understand, they have one contract spot allocated to sign a UFA, that uh, a college UFA. It doesn't mean it's going to happen. Um, they have a few targeted that they're looking into and they will pursue. However, sort of the, the internal belief or the internal challenge, I should say, is going to be trying to get somebody to sign here given the large number of prospects. So if you go back in time, that was one of the reasons they were able to snag guys like Daniel Brickley is that uh, those smart college free agents and their agents, so to speak, um, looked at the situation and said, okay, there's a, there's a gap in the LA Kings age distribution. And if you can go in there and if you can make an impact, you're going to be able to make their team. Sure. That's what Blake Lazat did. He took Shot advantage did, of that. Right. That's what Alex Ayafalo did. Those right. windows of opportunity don't really exist right now. So if the Wait, Kings don't sign somebody from college, it doesn't mean that they aren't pursuing them. I'm letting you know right now. There's a spot allocated. They are working on it. But uh, if they don't land somebody, it, it's not for lack of trying. It's more that people are correctly reading the landscape, and that is it's going to be way more difficult in the next three years than it has been in the, in the past three years. Uh, okay, DB, uh, here's one. Uh, do the Kings attempt to trade up in the draft, the heavy defenseman draft? Uh, and so my answer to that question would be, yes, they are. In years past where there was an appetite to perhaps move down and acquire assets, as we've talked about a lot on this program, they have too many prospects right now. They have too many young assets. And so from an age distribution standpoint, it might make sense in the right deal to package some of those assets up to move up for the right player. And the right player in this case, of course, is obvious who it is. It's a defenseman, a number one frontline defenseman who can someday perhaps be the heir apparent to Drew Doughty. Uh, great point, John. You know, and look, remember, fans, two seconds, two thirds, and two fourths in this draft, including their first. So, and it's it's all going to be wrapped around, John. Like how they finish. Like if they finish, if they just miss. So that will put them at fifteen. And there's a guy out there at ten. That's there. That's one of the four defensemen that could be a game changer for you. I, I, please, I'd run to the phone to get to 10 to make that move because you got the assets, whether it's draft capital or a prospect. Um, this, I, I couldn't agree with you more, and I was thinking about that last night. Like, wow, if they if they miss and they're at the middle of the pack, could they move into the top 10? Uh, I think they would be one of the favorites to do it because they have all the material to make that move. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, okay, so, DB, let's get to you and I have been going at it back and forth on Twitter um, about trades you, you have uh, flip-flopped quite a bit. You've gone from play the kids, now trade the kids. Uh, so so I'll, I'll give you the floor first, and then I will, uh, I will react to whatever it is that you decide to put out there this time around. No, it's not really about me, John, because look, we have our two videos out with respect to the targets that we get the fourth period think on at the top pair defenseman and left winger that they should acquire. So people know it. It's been out there. Um, it's a list of, e- of three of e- each player. M- my question to you, John, is does – Let's fast forward here, regardless of what happens in, in the regular season and the postseason, like in the next offseason, this summer, like what, A, do you expect moves? And B, the level of moves, the gravity of moves. Like what's your thought based on what you know about what this offseason is going to look like from a move standpoint? Are they going to stand pat? Because from, from what I get from you is that 
no big moves. They're going to stat pat. They still got to evaluate. They still think that these kids are going to come up and be productive next season. So just w- watch your roadmap for the offseason. That's a great question, Dennis, because yeah, you and I are, we're, we're, we're missing each other on this one here. This is why I texted you a couple days ago and said, I think we're closer than, than, than you might think on this. Uh, it, you, there's a big, big difference between trading now or trading, let's call it at the deadline, and trading in the offseason. So my point is this. I do not expect the LA Kings to make any significant move at the trade deadline. Now, let me, let me, let me back that up by saying, they could potentially trade Jonathan Quick at the trade deadline. I'm not saying they are. I'm saying that's always lurking in the background. There is a possibility. And Quick, at times this year, has looked really good. Now, this injury might have derailed the whole thought process, right? Uh, we don't know. But uh, there is the possibility. There is always the possibility. There's more of a possibility than a Jonathan Quick moving than any of the other five, uh, four, excuse me, of the vets moving. But a Jonathan Quick trade to me at this time would not be a significant move and fans have to understand the context of that. He is a Hall of Fame goaltender. His number is going to be retired at Staples Center. I am not taking anything away from his career. I'm saying that at this point, he's not the future of the LA Kings. If you were to trade Gabe Velarde, okay, that is a significant trade. If you were to make a trade and go out and get some of those names that you're talking about on the fourth period, DB, to make a Richards uh, or Carter-type acquisition, that is a significant move to me. Trading a player at this point, like a Jonathan Quick, is not a significant move. You're not getting three first-round draft picks back. When you moved Jake Muzzin, you actually got more for Jake Muzzin than you're going to get for Jonathan Quick. Wrap your mind around that right now, folks, okay? That's why a move for Jonathan Quick would not be significant to me. Uh, I'm talking about it from an asset perspective, not from an emotional standpoint. It would be very difficult to see Jonathan Quick in another uniform. It was very difficult to see Mike Madano play in a Detroit Red Wing jersey. It would be very difficult to see Jonathan Quick playing in any jersey other than an L.A. Kings jersey. So the timing of it is where I think you and I are, are, are differing or the point that I'm trying to make to people because I don't want to give fans false hope. There is not a big move that is coming anytime soon. Um, the Kings right now today, people go, well, why wouldn't they want to add Eichel? Uh, you know, he's, he's already what you're hoping that some of these prospects are going to be. Why wouldn't you package up three or four of them and make that move? Well, because they're not ready to do that right now. It doesn't mean that they won't be at some point in the future. And Dennis, to get to the heart of your question, I've laid the plan out. I started in December of 18, I believe it was, telling everybody what the plan was to get a top five pick, to come back the following year, to get another top five pick, to push for the playoffs. When did I say they were going to push for the playoffs? This year. What are they doing, Dennis? Pushing for the playoffs. Follow the playbook. Pay attention. These aren't just things that I'm making up in the backyard while I'm laying in the pool. They do plan on pursuing a trade to add the one piece that they believe that they need to add, and that is a left-handed defenseman who can add some offense. Remember, DB, everyone's talking about, I don't even remember who it was that, that mentioned it on TSN. Dennis, we broke that story on Kings the Podcast. We had that news before anybody. So I, this is not new news who they're going for, what, what they're trying to accomplish. Now, you want to dig into the heart of, well, who are they going for? Are they going for Darlene? Are they going for, for this guy over here? Uh, well, now you need to talk about who are they willing to move. And you, you took a jab at me the other day on Twitter and saying that 30 guys would be um, on my unavailable list. Did, did, did you see my tweet? Yeah, but now... now oh, hold on, John, what was my tweet? Wait, wait. No, no you said no, that there's one player. One player. But then... One player. But then, but then somebody else asked you, but see, but you had two tweets, Don, though. And then you said about 
there was another tweet that you meant you mentioned seven players. That if you if you think there's a trade and then you listed seven players. So let me explain that, that tweet. So, yeah. So there you go. So that, okay. that's where. So let me so, let on, me explain please. that tweet. That's yeah. a. I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. I, I the purpose of that tweet was to let Kings fans know that you have to give in order to get. And some of these trade proposals that I've seen are rather ridiculous. Buffalo would hang the phone up on Rob Blake for some of the trade proposals that people have been putting out there. Those are the players that you're talking. Here's what you're looking at doing. And then I later, I followed it up later and tried to explain it. You're, if they're talking, if somebody wants to think the Kings are going to get Eichel or that they're going to get Darlene or somebody of that caliber, you are talking about one of the LA Kings top five prospects and one of their six through 10. So their B level prospects. Okay. One of the A-list, one from the B-list, and a first-round draft pick. Are they going to try to whittle it down and give them less? Of course they are. Are they going to try to flip it? So I'll just give you names. These aren't names that are in, in moving, so nobody stake this as a, as a claim right. I'm making. This, this is an example. Hypothetical. hypothetical okay? Uh, Kapari and uh, Akil Thomas and a second-round pick is not going to get you Darlene. You're going to have to do better than that. You better you better Agreed. prepare yourself right. for, to lose a, a Byfield. You better prepare yourself to lose a Tom, uh, not a Kiel Thomas. Excuse me, a Byfield or a, a, a Turcot. Uh, the, Turcot. You know, right. These are the guys that you better be prepared to lose. So that's that's what I was saying about that group right there. Show me a deal that doesn't include those guys, and I'm going to show you that that deal that you're proposing is not possible. And if that was poorly worded okay, on you're Twitter, saying that from the okay, so you're saying it's not possible from the from the team that's trading the player, not from the LA side. Yeah. When, if, yeah. if the GM of Buffalo or the GM of Columbus or these other teams that you're proposing these deals for, when they call the LA Kings, they're not calling for Akil Thomas. They're not calling for right. Rasmus Kapari. They're not calling for Kale Clegg. They're calling for a very small number of players. There's, uh, is Byfield included in the deal? He's not? Okay, thanks. Is Turcotte included in the yeah. deal? No, yeah. he's not? Okay, thanks. They have a very specific ask. And so the Kings, to move one of those players, DB, there is not a consensus. There's not even a consensus among the fans, right? Everybody agrees right. that they need a left-handed D uh, that, that can generate offense. That's the guy that they want to go out and get. Okay, so who do you want to trade? You want to trade yep. Velarde? You want to trade Byfield or you want to trade Turcotte? Which of those three? Right. And there's right. not a consensus among fans. There's not a consensus among the front office either. They don't know which of those three they would be willing to trade right now. So, so, so that we're on the same page. And I think we're going to this. So right time, right place, right combination of players and mm -hmm. prospects and picks. They could make that trade in the offseason. Absolutely. And Dennis, okay. go back to everything that I've said over the last couple of years. People, I've said the trade will not happen until, and then I gave you the window. That window is starting to open. Now, if the trade right. doesn't, Dennis, if the trade doesn't happen this offseason, that doesn't mean they're never going to make the deal. The window right. opens the day that the season ends, whenever it is, whether it's the end of the regular yeah. season, if they're out of the playoffs, or whether it's the day they're eliminated from the playoffs. There is a 12 to 18 month window that opens that day. And sometime within that 12 to 18 months, 18 month window, they will make a significant trade. And if they don't, I'll be the first person to come back and tell you I'm highly disappointed in Rob Blake and, and in the whole management team because they sat on their hands for that 12 to 18 month window and didn't do what they needed to do. No, they're, they are, I firmly believe they will move assets. They have too many prospects. They will move the assets to bring in those players. 
But guys, there's not a real appetite right now to get Jack Eichel. I'm sorry, there's just not. That's not, well, the, not today. No, no. And just, I don't even Dennis, Dennis. Cup. But I don't even think in the summer. That's just not. They I, they don't need him. That, that's my point. That's my point. They don't need him. That's and not the player they need. Is. Yeah, and, and just some further context on our videos. That is our target list. That's our wish list. That is not who's available. That's not who the Kings are looking at. That's like if I was in Rob's seat, I would target these players. Right. That's what that is. So don't think that, you know, there's been chatter between Arizona and even you said it, John, like um, you better talk to Bill Armstrong about that deal. Right. That that's what that is. Yeah, because I checked with several people and they were like, dude, that player is not available. Like where Darlene is available. available. Yeah. Yeah. Darlene might be available in the right deal. Right. Maybe. Who knows? But in Arizona, not available. But to your point from the other night, uh, you might want to make them available because Arizona needs to uh, Arizona needs, needs a lot of help. Yeah. But I agree, I agree with you, John. The, the, the stage is being set. I use the same term. The stage is being set to make that deal. I like that. Yeah, it's being set. It's, it's, we're getting to that point. It's been a lot. You've taken all the like, – I always say, John, they've cleared the first hurdle, right, mm-hmm. in this rebuild. However you want to use your terms, rebuild LA, re- recreate, LA, whatever. Recreate LA. They, they cleared the first hurdle, right? They turned this around. They gathered assets. The core five, they're on board. Mm-hmm. Drew Doughty is on board. Mm-hmm. Kopey's on board. Mm-hmm. Brownie's on board. So, mm-hmm. so they've cleared that hurdle. There are more hurdles to go, but now they're coming up to the second hurdle. And that's how do you import established talent like using these assets? And I'm not, and John, the other thing is like for me, it's like it's one trade, John. It's not like you're not in a position like um, Buffalo is where you might have to make three or four trades and dump salaries to get this. They're not at this point. They have $20 million in cap space. They have no issues here. So right. they might actually, they've, they've cleared two hurdles, John. Because remember, three years ago, there was no cap room. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There was. Even if you resign I follow, you're going to have about $20 million in space. So they cleared the asset hurdle. They mm-hmm. cleared the cap hurdle. Mm-hmm. And now it's the acquisition hurdle coming up. And I agree with you, John. If the big deal is made, in, right, once we end the season and whenever you want to, you know, give them the ta- the runway to do it, then we'll both be very disappointed because it's time. Because I, my, my whole point is, John, I get the prospect pool. I get the core five. But teams cannot do this just in that way. You have to start importing. And look, as you get closer to the cup, you are you become like Tampa that went and got Barkley Goudreau that went and got you know Sergachev that went and got um, Chernak right so that's it am I advocating that no I'm saying like in the moment right now to improve this team significantly make that one big trade and even maybe and we disagree not make one big free agent signing with you with the cap space you got but I, I so that's my point no but I'm hold like, on when are, not- when are you saying that though are you saying that you want them to make that trade right now like in within the no. 2021 season or you're saying no. in the summer no I'm saying in the summer I'm saying look, okay if it, it, it John if everything aligned right now in the moment and you had the right deal for Darlene would you make it now <laughs> I would make it now you might not well, but the I'm reason saying, I wouldn't, the reason I wouldn't is I don't know which player I'm willing to part with if I'm the general manager. So, look, it's going to be one of those three that they're going to have to part with. There, there's so no you're way. Gonna know, you're going to know in 30 games? I'm not saying that I would. That's why I don't. Here's the thing, Dennis. The timing of, 
it's not one deal to me. That's one thing you just said that I would disagree with. It's not one deal. Go back and look at how the Kings were built, and it's not going to follow the exact same playbook, but it is a good comparison. Look at how the team that went to the 2012 final. By the way, there was somebody on Twitter the other day saying like, oh, they were this lucky team that backed into the playoffs. Man, you weren't paying attention to what was going on. That team was picked near the top of the Western Conference heading into that year. Do you know why Daryl Sutter was hired, Dennis? I mean, you know, I'm not speaking to you. The reason Daryl Sutter was hired is that team was underperforming. That team had made the playoffs two years in a row. And after making the playoffs two years in a row, they went out and took a big swing and traded Braden Shin, their number one yep. prospect. They went out and traded him in a great hockey deal along with Wayne Simmons. Really one level above a prospect at that point. They went out and traded him, uh, at the two of them, in order to get Mike Richards, right? So they made a big significant hockey trade to make an add to that team to make a push to the next level. So two years in the playoffs, make a big ad, try to push it to the next level. They went out and got Richards. Then when they saw that that team was really moving, uh, or they, well, excuse me, first they underperformed, then they had to replace the coach. Then they were moving in the right direction. They said, you know what? We're now going to double down on the Richards trade. We're now going to double down and make another move at the trade deadline that's not going to cost us as much. That's more of a risk-reward type trade in getting a Jeff Carter to see if that can really put us over the hump. That was the plan. So follow that playbook. This team's not there yet. They're just not there. No, no it's not there yet. So no, let... But is, he, he, yeah, but here's, here's where it's one deal, John. Okay, we know, like, what the top need is, right? We both know. Top pair, left defenseman. You tell me the next trade. You tell me, you can't, because I'll use your theory. Like, you're still evaluating these players. So you tell me, like, the next trade, for what position and what type of player you're trading for? It's a, it's a winger. Uh, because I think they have enough options at center. I think that no matter how you put that together over the next couple of years, in my mind, it's Kopitar and Velarde. I think that Velarde ends up as the 1C, Kopitar ends up at the 2C. That's not a knock on Kopitar. The guy could be the Hart Trophy winner this year. It's just a reality of age and the way the game works, okay? So you can argue that on all, all you want. Kopi and Velarde, one, you know, 1C, 2C, who cares? Who's going to play 3C? Well, you could play Turcotte there. You could play Kapari there. You could play Jod there. You have Akil Thomas could surprise a bunch of people. By the way, a little that footnote, right. Akil Thomas, the organization is very, very, very high on Akil Thomas. He did all the right things in the offseason. His stock has improved dramatically over the last three to six months. I'm giving you a little sneak preview and a spoiler alert to the prospect rankings that are coming. But my point is they have a lot of options there. And here's what they don't know, Dennis, is when a couple of those guys end up moving over to the wing, how effective are they going to be? And are right. they going to be exactly. are they going to be third line left or you know, wingers? Yeah. Are they going to be second line wingers? Where does Kaliev ultimately yeah. end? Everybody knows what his ceiling right. is. His ceiling is uh, on, on the first line. But if he really is on the second line, well, you know, as yeah. Brown ages out, you're going to have to get somebody else to play that top line right wing Amen. side. So your second move is a winger. So the first move, defenseman, second move is going to be for a winger. I don't know if it's left side or right side because I don't know which of these sure. current prospects yet, right? are going are to take that yep. spot. Right. I, I do know Alex Iafalo is not the top line left wing in two years. I do okay. know that, D.B. And no disrespect. And here's the other thing. And here's a comparable, John. I see comparable with respect to trade and who you would trade. I see Alex Turcotte as Braden Shen. Both guys are fifth overall, right? Here's and that would be – go ahead. Well, I, here's where I can see where you're going, though. Um, Turcotte does not – his ceiling, Turcotte's ceiling is not to be a number one center. Byfield could be a number one center. Turcotte right. is probably a 2C, maybe a 3C. So when you start looking at it in those terms, that's one of the reasons why Byfield 
um, sort of has more quote unquote value is that his upside is a one C. Sure. Now, it also what fans don't understand is that as a fan, you attach your emotions to a certain type of player. So you might like a Turcotte more than you like um, a Byfield because you might like Mike Richards as a player more than you like Andre Kopitar. You know, you might like Dustin Brown more than you like Jeff Carter. Like they're, they're different type of right. players. And totally different. And I, and I have news for you. General managers are the same way. So, <laughs> so right. dependent upon the type of player they're looking for, that's what they're going to be talking about. And when I say that Turcotte's probably not a 1C in the NHL, that's not a knock on him. It's just no. to say when you start sliding guys in at that sort of a pecking order, well, Turcotte, quote unquote, cost the Kings less right, from an asset value right. than Byfield does because Byfield right. is expected to be, his ceiling is a 1C. Uh, right. I think he's a 2C because I think Velarde's the 1C, but that's my opinion, uh, and I'm not in the general manager seat, so you'd have to ask Rob Blake what he thinks, but that's my opinion. Well, we see, we agree on a lot more points than we thought we did, and I agree <laughs> with you on, on Eichel. I, I would not make that trade. I okay. think there's some health issues that are coming out. That That's not, I, I, I don't, like if you're if you believe in these centers, John, then you absolutely don't need. If you if you think that Velarde and Byfield are no better than a three, and you need a one or a two, then yeah, I'd make that trade. But I don't think that anybody believes that right now. So I don't know why you would at this point in time. The only benefit right now for trading for Jack Eichel, you're buying pretty low, mm -hmm. right? I mean, what's going on in there? It's like sure. you're not giving away the shot for that. But I agree. I think this organization, like if they really need Jack Eichel then they don't think much of what they got in the system from a and from a center standpoint, John, of all the positions you're going to trade for, you can trade for another center. Like maybe see if they would have traded for Dubois, he's probably the first line left wing. I don't think he ever would have played center. Mm -hmm. So not that they would have, but I, I think that's so with respect to Jack Eichel. Yeah. I, I don't know why you would make that move. This organization, he's going to wind up somewhere, but it just, I think there's certainly enough in the pipeline here and what you have presently with Kopitar that you really don't need him. But see, DB, you just said something that's so fascinating to me, and that is that if they were able to get him, let's say at a discount, I'm just making player names up here, and I hate doing this, but yeah. it, 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 it's so it's important. But it's, it's a, I still, I just, I don't like it, but it's important to do for context, right? So if it was um, a, a second round pick, Kapari and uh, Thomas, I'm just using those as examples. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, so you bought him low, and it didn't cost you one of the top three prospects that I mentioned earlier. And you make that move. Like the fans get excited. And I look at that and I go, yeah, but why did they make that move? Because there, there has to be another move coming because if he's going to play center, um, what are you doing with Velarde? Because Velarde's not a three C. What, what, what do you know right. about Velarde that I don't know? What do you know about Turcotte that I don't know? Like the, the, to me, it was just right. a trade for Eichel right. right now would not fast forward the rebuild. To me, it would bring more questions than anything else. That's my opinion. You're, it would be more questions about what you have in the pipeline. Yeah. And they don't know what they have in the pipeline. These are kids that just yeah. turned pro. They barely have touched them, right? It doesn't matter what a kid's done in college. It doesn't matter as much what a kid's done in junior. That's important to get them to that point. But really what matters is what happens when they get to the pro game. You see players at the pro level. Some guys adapt to it and other guys don't. Some guys take to the training and others don't. That's why some guys are given a longer leash and a longer rope than some other players. Some really high-end prospects end up washing out when they're in development because they just, they're not mentally into it. They're not cut out for it. They don't have what it takes 
to become a professional hockey player. And other guys just have it inside of, they have something inside of them that is so undeniable that they force their way into the conversation. Blake Lazat, Alex Ayafalo, Sean Walker. These guys, they are not number one or number two round draft picks. They should not be in these conversations, but they have something special inside of them that forces them into the conversation. Uh, absolutely, John. I'm 100%. I, mean, I, I just think that, again, there are certain there are certain needs on this team. Jack Eichel's not a need. It's just not. It's just, it's not. I mean, if you actually watch, and I use, use your term, if you actually watch Velarde play, like, there's your center of the future. There's your guy. There's the heir apparent to um, Kopitar, regardless of what Byfield does. Yes. Like, you see those flashes, and it's just a matter of consistency and getting more knowledge and getting more experience. But but there's your heir apparent. If, if you didn't have Kopitar, yeah, would you trade for Jack Eichel? Sure. Mm-hmm. Like, I get that. Then it'd be, But at this point, you have your one-two, at least for another couple of seasons. And I agree with Kopitar aging out. He's MVP. You know, I love him. He's great. But I, I agree. To make that move, just it's just it, it like you don't know. If you're advocating that move, then you don't see and, and can just analyze what this, the organization has right now with respect to their, their depth chart. The last thing I'll say on this, DB, great, great uh, debate and conversation. The last thing I'll say on this is that you have to play the long game. And so, it, you know, all yeah. these guys, it seems to me, and the reason I use that Xbox GM term a lot on Twitter and stuff yeah. is that <laughs> these things just don't make sense because, yeah, it's exciting and it's sexy to go out and trade for a bunch of players and win your fantasy pool, but that's not what the LA Kings are trying to do. They're trying to yeah. win the Stanley Cup and to build a sustainable winning team. What they're trying to do is put together a roster that meets a certain objective. And everybody thinks that the objective is the Stanley Cup every year. I have news for you. It's not. You have to have realistic expectations, right? And so Fair this point. team is trying to make the playoffs. And if they can find some magic and they can peak at the right time and they can do something crazy, that's great. But this team is not ready yet to challenge for a Stanley Cup. If they do, I'll be the first one to tell you I was surprised and never saw it coming. Okay, this team is trying to challenge for a playoff spot. That's what the roster is trying to do. So go back to what that team was trying to do that became the 2012 Cup winner. I already laid it out for you. Two years of making the playoffs. They made a big, significant trade to get a Mike Richards. They tweaked it by adding a Jeff Carter later. It's sort of the same thing. And then once you're there, then you end up making moves to try to sustain being on top and that's where Dean had a lot of problems and had a lot of challenges he talked about it openly and that's where all GMs at some point they usually usually they they burn the cupboards (laughs) they burn the whole kitchen right because they end up trading away all of their assets because the window is open and when the window's open, man, you, you know, you just go for it as often as you can to get as many cups because it's hard. It is really hard to be a cup contender. You don't have yeah. 10 cup contending teams in the NHL, DB. There's right, like right. three or four. Yeah. So when you get right. there, you want to stay there. Yeah. Just to add a couple of points. Like, I think you made a point that, that Blake and the whole crew there should strive to be like what Colorado did. Right. So I think that's important. So if you want a comparable to where this needs to go, it's Colorado. And the other thing, John, is remember this with the greatness of the core five here and the guys who banners are going to be lifted up to the, the rafters of stable center. And with the greatness in Pittsburgh with Sid and Gino and in Chicago with Taves and Kane and Keith and Crawford, those teams, Chicago won three times and they lost 12 times with those teams. So your point about being a sustainable contender, even if you are, like you're getting a couple bites of the back. Sid and Gino, they've been playing for 13, 14 years. They lost 11 times. They mm-hmm. only won three cups. You're not getting a dynasty. This is not the Montreal Canadiens of the 60s and 70s. So that that's why, like, yeah, you got to go for it. But 
when you go for it that deep, John, what's the downside? You fall off the cliff. And you mentioned how Dean struggled with that. And you mentioned part of the reason that the last three seasons happened is because of that happening where you're trying to get up. To, it's so tough. And, and so your point about age, right, with respect to different waves of prospects and stuff like that, if people take the time to think about that, that's what you want. You want the sustainable, you know, years that we had here in Los Angeles or Chicago or Pittsburgh. That's what you're trying to build because regardless of how great these players are, the system's set, not set up for you to win five years in a row. Mm-hmm. It's just not going to happen. So I think that's what people have to understand, that if you're in the hunt and if you're in the conversation for a cup and you're a contender, that's what you have to be satisfied with. Don't think you're winning five cups in a row. This isn't, you know, Dean Lombardi's Yankees of, you know, 1996 through 2000 just doesn't work like that anymore. Uh, DB, you it, one thing you call Marcel Dion, he'll still tell you this, and and it's a it's a truism across the league. Most Stanley Cup contending teams are based around five players. It takes a yeah. full army to win, but it's based on five core players: Amen, two John. two centers, two defensemen, and a goaltender. And one of the reasons the Kings have to be careful on what they do with their assets is that you don't want to plug one hole by then leaving one of the other holes open because you basically just robbed Peter to pay Paul, as they say. So getting you Jack Eichel might make you deeper at center, but in order to do that, what are you giving up? You're giving up some assets that are really going to be needed to fill one of those defenseman holes, and so you haven't really helped yourself. So to the fans that like the Jack Eichel trade, man, you you better explain to me how you're going to fill all five of those spots that I just mentioned, two centers, two defensemen, and a goaltender. DB, we could go on for three hours and talk about this. Hopefully the listeners stuck with us and they felt that this was an entertaining use of their time. Appreciate all the feedback on Twitter. Thank you so much. And uh, DB, we'll have to get back at it. The Kings are in Colorado this weekend. We'll get back at it at the first of next week and do more Kings of the Podcast. Great discussion, John. Can't wait for the next Kings of the Podcast. Talk to you soon, everybody.